Hey everyone, thanks for listening. As you know, we're on the HubSpot Podcast Network and we recently made the switch to go to their CRM platform as well. With this, I get some inside knowledge and some of the products and services they're rolling out and I'm super excited to share that they're relaunching their sales hub with some really exciting new features. The new sales hub connects the dots with sales engagement, so prospecting, deal management, and analytics and coaching. And it aligns all of that so you can have a single view of your customer and also with some of these new AI tools that they're integrating, you can actually automate all those annoying admin tasks that take you away from selling. Trust me, you've got to check this out. We are just scratching the surface with this here at JD Sales, and I've already seen some massive improvements. With Sales Hub, closing deals is no big deal. Try it for yourself at hubspot.com slash sales. Hey everyone, welcome back to Make It Happen Mondays, where we talk about sales, business, entrepreneurship, personal growth, mental health, and everything in between with guests who I truly respect and I think make a positive impact on the world around us. Now, this is a very special week since I'm going to be attending and speaking at HubSpot's inbound conference in Boston all week. Now, because of this, we decided to do a HubSpot takeover of the podcast with my good friend, Russell Bradley Cook, who's actually the senior app partner manager over at HubSpot. And he's going to be talking to some of the leading CEOs in the tech industry about the future of sales and where sales is going, especially in this world of AI. We're going to release these episodes daily, so make sure you tune in and let me know what you think. Let's make it happen. Hi, John. Thanks for the intro. I'm Russell Bradley Cook, and I'm thrilled to be a part of this. As John mentioned, he's at Boston at our annual inbound conference, and I'm going to be bringing you not one, but five episodes this week featuring the CEOs of top software companies with integrations on the HubSpot's marketplace. They are Seismic, Sixth Sense, G2, Chili Piper, and Typeform, talking about how AI is being used by their sales and marketing teams and in their product as well as the future of sales and partnerships. Thank you very much for joining us. You can join Don and I on LinkedIn with hashtag JBSales and hashtag Let's Make It HubSpot Monday. Let's kick it off. Doug, welcome to the Make It Happen podcast with John Barrows. I'm Russell Bradley Cook, HubSpot Senior App Partner Manager. Uh, it's my pleasure to welcome you, SEO of Seismic, to the, to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Excited to be back. Thank you. Uh, my my colleague, Kelly Sarabin, who's in charge of partner enablement here, will laugh because almost all of my partner problems, I think, would be solved with better enablement. So delighted to have you uh, here to share. And, and um, interesting to see Seismic as the bridge between sales and marketing. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. And uh, we, we can definitely talk about that. So as an intro, uh, I would love to hear a little bit about your, your personal journey, but also kind of high level view on, on Seismic, uh, fundraising, team size, sales marketing split, uh, how you guys are set up. Sure. Happy to do it. So um, I'm an engineer by training, ended up in business school a while back, uh, did a couple of startups, caught the bug at a fairly, uh, fairly early age. Uh, coming coming out of the dot com vintage, I'll hate to date myself that much, but uh, it's true. Can't deny it. Um, ended up starting Seismic because we saw an opportunity in the marketplace to create a solution that was going to help marketers and sellers work together more efficiently, more effectively. Um, we had a deep knowledge of content management and sort of the problems associated with content and personalization of content, distribution of content. Uh, it was also a time when, you know, really uh, the the first true built from the ground up cloud platforms on, that were built on pu public clouds were were being created. So enables you to go faster, uh, build more product uh, at uh, at more attractive economics. 
Um, and we and we just saw a real opportunity in the market. Um, we we felt uh, having been a part of a number of startups, the the struggle that happens between sales and marketing, and and how difficult it is to ramp up when you're trying to grow really fast, add new sellers. How do you get them effective as fast as possible? Um, and so that was really uh, that's that was really where the the idea for the company came. Um, we got going on our own. We had uh, we had big plans that we were going to go you know without any outside investment. So we went. Uh, we started down that road. We went fairly far, and then realized at one point, hey, we've got great customers. Uh, we've got, a, a, I think, a really great product. This is a big opportunity, probably bigger than we originally even imagined. And no one knows who we are because we didn't have any real marketing efforts. We had a very small sales team, and like we're we're going to get past by if we don't start investing a little bit more in our own presence. And so we started uh, started raising capital. Um, was uh, uh, I'm very fortunate in, in the investors that we've been able to to add to our team over the years. Built a great board. We've raised uh, over 400 million now uh, along the journey. Uh, teams up to about 1,500 people scattered all across the globe. And uh, yeah, excited for for how far this market has matured and how far it's come, and uh, more more even more so where it's going. Really, really interesting. Um. I, and in terms of your your personal story, um, this is not your first company. Uh, why why sales enablement? It was really uh, I, I, you know I'd love to say that I, I slipped in the shower and hit my head and had this uh, divine inspiration, but it was really an opportunity that we saw in the marketplace firsthand. You know, we uh, at other startups at other companies, you know where we'd been acquired, we saw the struggle firsthand between sales and, and marketing and how to ramp those those folks up. Um, we saw uh, that a lot of businesses were or problems that had been solved in the past by on-premise solutions that were expensive, very IT intensive, um, difficult to generate an ROI, uh, you know, had really developed. So, you know, CRM, Salesforce, you know, really revolutionized uh, the world when they took CRM, which was an existing category, but they they built it in a much easier to use way. They built it in a with new technology, the cloud. They sold it in a do, new model, SaaS, and changed the world. And we thought, well, no one's really doing this in the area of content, and especially not in the area of sales, uh, sales content and training. And and, uh, and so that was the opportunity that we saw. It was a real, very tangible. And um, in your in your previous company, Objectiva, you also you had a very uh, strong partnership focus, and my sense is with Seismic that also partnerships is a key part of your success. I was wondering, is is that the case? Is that is that right? How do you think about partnerships? Yes, partnerships are critical for us and for our success. I think um, early on, you know, we we uh, we partnered with uh, with some of the giants and Salesforce and Microsoft to help us with our technology stack and to be able to integrate into a customer ecosystem. That was very important. Um, we uh, we partnered with service providers, uh, folks who knew the business problems very intimately and who could help deliver our solution into our larger customers. From the very beginning, we partnered, uh, we, we focused on selling to large enterprises and we focused on selling to, you know, big tech companies and we, and we sold a lot to, uh, uh, large banks and financial institutions. And as a small startup company, it's really not practical to go in there. You don't have the credibility to go in and sell to those organizations without having a partner there uh, that knows how to navigate, 
that uh, that can uh, deliver on the services and the implementation that's needed, the change management that's needed by these large organizations. So very early on, and in fact, several of our, our first deals were um, brought to us through partners. But really interesting to to hear. And um, one of the uh, things that that from HubSpot's perspective that we we see the landscape changing dramatically is is around AI and how quickly it can get into production, um, how it's being used by sales and marketing teams to uh, effectively extend their capabilities. Uh, Seismic is kind of at the is the bridge between sales and marketing uh, in many ways. I'm curious how uh, you're thinking about AI in terms of your business. Yeah, you know, there's uh, I've been around long enough to see a lot of of hype cycles of things that you know had a, a huge amount of buildup and promise, and you know, never but never really delivered on that. And uh, I've also been around long enough to to see the difference between something that's really a hype cycle and something that feels like it's got real legs and. Uh, you know, I, I think maybe we did have a, a, a preview hype cycle with AI a few years ago where everyone was w- wanted to talk about it, but the, the, pro- the, the reality was far behind the pro- uh, what the promise was. Um, it, 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 boy, it sure feels different this time. And, and we're seeing it um, not just within our own field of enablement, but also obviously outside. And uh, it, it has affected how we work internally. It's making our, our developers more efficient. It's, it's making our uh, marketers and our sellers more efficient, more effective, and it's certainly working its way into our product in a very aggressive path. And we've we've been working with a- AI in our product for a number of years. We released our uh, our sales uh, Aura AI several years ago. Um, we have uh, you know added it uh, over the years incrementally in ways uh, big and small. It does things like helping us uh, helping our users navigate and search their content to find the most effective and appropriate piece of content more quickly, more effectively. We have products like Seismic Knowledge, which really rely on natural language processing to understand what it is people are asking, what they're looking for, uh, monitoring uh, uh, things like Slack channels or Teams channels and, and giving uh, real relevant answers to questions that people, that sellers have in real time. Um, and we've got a number of uh, pretty exciting uh, things, enhancements that we're going to be announcing at our, our Shift Conference, which is our uh, user conference that's coming up in October. So I don't want to give away too much, um, but uh, tune in 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 a couple of months, and there's a there's a lot of pretty uh, very exciting things that are coming, and um, the potential here is is incredible, and we're just getting started. Hey, I want to take a quick minute to share with you what I'm working on these days with my new JB Sales membership. It includes live monthly training delivered by me on my two signature courses, Filling the Funnel and Driving to Close. It also includes monthly workshops that I'll be running on specific skills and different tech like ChatGPT and how to leverage it in the sales process. And it gives you access to my entire online catalog with every course and every tip I've ever done. You get all of this for $420 a year as an individual or $5,000 for teams. And as an exclusive exclusive offer to my podcast listeners. If you go to www.jbarrows.com and click on the individual or team membership and use code podcast, you'll get 20% off. Let's make this happen together. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And in terms of how your own sales and marketing team are using it, I, I, I see when I'm talking to founders two somewhat in parallel, but, but really two distinct discussions. I, I'm curious how seismic sales and marketing team are using AI. If you have any concrete examples, 
Yeah, I think it started. Um, it's amazing. One thing I've learned is that uh, you know sellers are incredibly resourceful and finding tools and ways in which they can be more effective at what they do. So, you know, we uh, in the beginning really encouraged the, the use when you know ChatGPT was released and some of the, the quick follow-on uh, products that were uh, that have been released into the into the market. Um, our sellers, you know, dove in were early adopters and on ways that they could use it either to help research. Uh, a company that they may be speaking with and find talking points that they think are going to be relevant. Um, that's one that I've seen a, a lot of effective use. Obviously, crafting better emails that contain messages, um, and, you know, that uh, that the team feels are going to resonate as they're trying to open doors. Um, you know, the uh, <clears throat> the ability to even help prepare uh, for a meeting that the customer that they may be having with a customer. You know, what are the major talk tracks? What's an outline? Um, what are the likely outcomes or follow-up action items that I should be aiming for. So we've really, we went through a phase of, of letting our sellers kind of organically get creative um, and figure out things that they thought were going to add value. Uh, and then we formalized that a little bit into best practices and having, you know, actually making uh, the uh, the tools available um, officially through our uh, through our own infrastructure and allowing them to, to be able to, to have access to those things. And then of course, finally looking at what they're doing and how they're using it and how that can help make its way into our product in a more systematic way uh, as we eye our roadmap uh, in the months, weeks, months, and quarters ahead. Uh, absolutely. Definitely sales are, sales are, are crafty people. Uh, it's a very hard job and you've got to figure out any kind of edge that you can get. That's right. Uh, to, to get the maximum amount of, uh, um, deliver the maximum amount of value and, no question. and really help help customers faster. No so question. Can, so you can get to the weekend. Um, I, I was wondering, historically, like you've talked a lot about enterprise uh, customers. Um, if Seismic is continuing to focus on enterprise or if you're also seeing an opportunity to provide um, enablement, sales enablement to uh, midsize and, and, and potentially even SMB companies. Yeah, so we we began with a big with a heavy focus on large enterprises, um, and that continues to be the uh, far and away the largest source of our revenue. About two years ago, we released a professional version of our product uh, with an eye towards organizations who need whose needs were a little bit more simple, and uh, either from because of scale or because of sales process or geographic reach, whatever it might be. Um, some of them just have small teams and and don't have the ability to kind of lean in and do enablement in a, in a more sophisticated way. So we released that professional edition. It's uh, it's been doing extremely well in the marketplace. Uh, it it, uh, it meets the needs of of companies that are you know by and large uh, you know a, a thousand employees or less. It's a great fit for what they might need. Uh, you can't. Uh, over-index on, on, on that and, uh, number. There's some smaller companies that are doing very sophisticated things and take full advantage of our, our premier version. Uh, but we also have uh, that the professional uh, available and, and even some larger companies have found that it delivers on what they're looking for. Uh, as, uh, as I think everybody knows, the economy is not the best right now and the stress is hitting smaller and medium-sized companies harder than it is, I think, larger enterprises that just have a little bit more moat and are a little bit more robust. Uh, so, you know, I think that, uh, that we've, we've seen that market impacted and disproportionately to larger enterprises, uh, but we remain committed to that customer segment. I think it's great. A lot of those companies, especially tech companies, uh, that are on the smaller side, you know, they're the, they're the, 
well, they're the hub spots of tomorrow. So we want to make sure we get in with them early, help them meet their needs, and then we can grow along with them as our uh, as their needs meet our products are there for them. We're, we're working hard with our partners to make sure the HubSpot remains the HubSpot of tomorrow. Uh, but it's, it's great to see the Seismic team building an integration with, with uh, HubSpot. And, and I think our, our ecosystem is one of the ways as HubSpot moves from a, historically, a historic focus on SMB. And it's actually one of the things that I've uh, always admired about Brian and Darmesh is the ability to stick with something, even though everybody else is telling you that is absolutely the wrong thing to do. Yeah. And the investors were coming in to say, like, you should focus on enterprise. I'm sure they had some pretty big offers from coming in through the sales team to be like, we should probably sign this deal. Um, but as as we get into 2023, uh, HubSpot has a big focus on CRM, um, really taking advantage of, of some of the, the capabilities that we built from the marketing side and bringing that into, putting that into seller's hands. That kind of automation uh, is very powerful. And then adding on the AI. Um, I, I'm curious, just kind of how you think about that that integration, like going going to market with smaller customers. Do you see like how do you see that working with somebody like HubSpot? It doesn't have to be a HubSpot, but yeah, but all their partners. Certainly, the partnership is critically important, uh, right? Because we all need to be as efficient as possible in our go to market motion when you're when you're servicing a smaller customer base, and things have to be easy. They have to just work. Um, you know, that they can be more simple, but they need to uh, be, and in a lot of ways, it's more difficult to build a product that's aimed at that, that market segment, right? Because it really has to stand on its own and customers are quick uh, to, to try it and they're quick to depart if it doesn't meet their needs or if it's a little bit too confusing or complicated to get the integration working. Um, so we're excited that we, that we have partnered together. Um, our product uh gets much more valuable when it takes advantage of things that it can learn from CRM integration. So we can recommend the content to use in a meeting if we know attributes about the person that you're meeting with. You know, what's their role in the organization? What level are they? Are they in marketing? Are they in sales? Are they in IT? What industry are they are they in? What geography are they in? What stage is a, is a sales cycle sitting at right now? What have been objections that might have been raised? All of those things can inform our AI into what content would be most effective and it can help personalize content. We can actually take content and change it based on some of those attributes. Well, you can, uh, you know, if you don't have access to CRM, if you don't have the ability to pull that information from HubSpot, then you're asking sellers to enter it and you're asking sellers to do more work and, you know, some of them will, some of them won't. And so being able to pull that automatically saves time, makes them more efficient. But I think much more important, it makes it more effective because they're going to speak specifically to the situation that they're in, specifically to the person that they're meeting with or that they're sharing, uh, the sharing the content with. So very, very important. One of the things that I really like about Seismic um, on when it's working on with larger teams is that you can see the analytics not only of a particular email, but of a particular asset and say, this is the number of opens, this is the number of engagements, this is uh, coming, ideally even bringing it down to signed deals to say like, so as a seller, you can evaluate, okay, I understand that marketing created this asset, but like, is it being widely used? Is it driving outcomes? Uh, because I, like, it's not that you don't want to be the first person to send it to customers, but you want to make sure that that you're maximizing the, the touch points that you have. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's right. When we when we talk to customers about their company's enablement journey, we talk about sort of phases of maturity. The first phase is really we call it control the chaos. It's just get so, all the you know different places that content might live under control. Get the training and the coaching all in one place. Put everything uh, in in the environments that sellers live in, whether it's in their uh, HubSpot CRM or whether it's in their out, uh, Gmail. Uh, account or whatever it might be, get that under control. And then the second phase, and, and most companies can do that relatively quickly. Um, and then they get to a place where the next phase is, is can I understand the impact of what is out there? Can I understand if someone does complete some training or a coaching exercise, or they use a certain piece of content, is that going to move deal cycles forward more quickly? Um, is that going to improve win rates or not? Um, you know, that... Do you find that people who have done the training and use the right content are hitting their numbers and the people who don't aren't? There's just a lot of different lenses that you can look at um, once you get to a point where, you know, you have that uh, that chaos under control and people are falling plays to some degree. You know, it really does become understand the impact of what you're doing and, and trying to figure out how you can do things that are going to deliver more impact. We talk a tremendous about internally about uh, outcomes and and making sure that we're aligned with our uh, customer around what they're looking for from an outcome. What's the value that they can realize and expect to realize? Um, what's the problem that they're trying to solve, the pain that they're trying to address? And then what's the business act impact of being able to do that? And then you can work backwards into, well, what are the behavior changes? What are the things that you need them to do in order to to realize that uh, that impact, that business result, that outcome that you're looking for? It, it's it's i mean it's it's continuous education it's continuous learning it, it is what sellers need to do to embrace to be successful yes that's right i think um, and enablement teams you know if they really take that mindset that uh, enablement's not a set it and forget it kind of a of an application you know it's a full contact sport you're going in there and you're trying to understand what's working you're trying to make improvements and changes to make it work even better you know, whether it's people, process, content, whatever it is, you know, how do you, you need to understand what's happening in order to improve it. And that's a never ending cycle. So I like the control chaos stage, uh, the understand impact, obviously necessary. Uh, what does great look like? Great looks like using enablement to drive transformations. So if you think about it, you know, every quarter, every year, companies are launching initiatives sales plays, um, campaigns, whatever you might call it. Uh, it could be, you know, your upcoming customer event. Um, it could be a new product that's getting launched into the market. When you start out, you think about, you know, what is the enablement plan? How am I gonna make this product now sell into the segment that I'm trying to sell it? And you probably have a bunch of executives sitting in the corner office somewhere with a whiteboard and they have all kinds of great ideas about how that's going to work. Here's the play. How's this, this is how it's going to work. Then you've got thousands of sellers out in the field actually pushing the keys and talking, speaking on the phone with clients. I think that enablement at its highest form is getting those ideas from the heads and the whiteboards of the boardroom into the hands and the fingers and the, and the things that the sellers are doing every single day. If you do that effectively, you're going to win. If you don't, you're going to really struggle. To me, that's enablement. That's what enablement is all about. And so really great enablement is taking a, a project by project, a initiative by initiative, a sales play by sales play approach 
to developing pl- an enablement plan, all the resources to achieve it. And then really important is, do you have the analytics in place to allow you to monitor that progression and in, in the activities to see in real time whether or not it's being effective? Because you know we can all wait to the end of the year and say, did we hit the number? We launched the product. Let's wait to the end of the year and see if we hit the number. Well, if that's the approach you take, pretty much guarantee you that the answer is going to be no, right? But if you can tell in week one, I expect to see these behaviors. In week two, I expect to see these behaviors. You know, when people are out, you know, giving the pitch about our product, they're supposed to say certain things at certain times. Are they doing that? You know, if you can monitor that in real time, you have the opportunity to make adjustments along the way that are going to be very, very impactful to the, the, what you're really looking for, which is of course, to hit the number at the end of the year. <laughs> and um, I, I'm curious to change gears just very slightly. Uh, one of the things uh, before I joined HubSpot, I had never worked in a PLG company. I had only sold enterprise stuff, uh, often to big banks, um, and things moved very slowly. And at HubSpot, you see like the product actually helps, like in terms of onboarding. Yeah. Like, if you hire somebody who already knew how to use HubSpot and you're using HubSpot. Like thirty percent of your enablement, just like no one yes. like they they hit the ground running. Um, so having a tech stack that's easy to use and, and easy to adopt uh, is really powerful. Salespeople move jobs. Uh, there's a lot of people who are going to be leaving their jobs in the next twelve to eighteen months. Um, for sales reps who are starting a new job, like you see everything from enablement. What is like the best practices? What would you say is like an ideal ninety day onboarding plan? Yeah, onboarding is such an important part, and 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 uh, it's it's kind of funny though. Um, although there are certainly people leaving and changing jobs right now, uh, you know, if you had if we had done this conversation a year ago uh, or eighteen months ago, it would have been all about that—the fact that you're growing and you're turning over sellers because they're changing jobs so much. You know, that slowed down quite a bit, and so we're actually hearing the onboarding story a little bit less uh, than than what we were not not that long ago. Uh, I'm sure that's going to change. Uh, I'm sure that's going to change again here b- before we know it. Um, but I think you know, enablement uh, onboarding to me is is just another enablement program and plan that you need to roll out, albeit a very important one. You know, you got to have a plan. This is what we're going to do. You know, these are the uh, the must knows. These are the coaching sessions that we want people to participate in. You know, based on who you are, what role, what part of the organization, what geo, what products you might be focused on or selling, you know, do you have the product knowledge that's necessary? How can you test that incrementally along the way? You know, and by the way, it's not just by answering a bunch of true false questions, but it's by actually practicing and having AI tell you if you're doing it right uh, or not, you know, probably not a surprise, but people that use AI to train and practice uh, do better than than, uh, people who don't. Uh, because they're practicing, they get real feedback and they're like, Ooh, I'm not going to submit that to my boss. That was terrible. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. Okay. Now it feels like I'm getting a decent score from the AI. Let me go ahead and submit that to my, to my manager and let him or her give me some, some feedback. Right. So just the fact that you're, you're providing that feedback quickly and in real time causes them to practice more and they do better. Um, so you, you put that plan together and that program together. And then again, following closely you know, as they transition from I'm in the onboarding phase to, okay, now I'm going to start my first sales cycle. 
my first sales cycle, I'm going to be working on selling a deal that includes this particular product. If I follow this program for that product, I'm going to feel, it's going to feel familiar. I'm going to go through the same kind of process that I did when I onboarded. I'm going to have some things to learn. I'm going to get to practice. I'm going to get real feedback. I'm going to use content and I'm going to personalize that content. And I'm going to know in real time, did I do it well? Did I not do it well? My manager is going to get insight into that. And then, you know, again, manager can come in and say, okay, you did a pretty good job here, but let, let's focus on this, uh, on this aspect. You know, you missed a couple of the value points that are really important that might've resonated with this customer, you know, that kind of thing. It'll feel familiar and they'll be able to, to kind of ramp up much more quickly. And probably just as important as them ramping up quickly is you knowing if they're ramped up or not, you know, who do you spend time with? You know, this person's doing great. They're a star. I don't need to even mess with them. This person is really, really struggling. They're probably not going to make it. And this person will get a lot of value if I can move them from being a, a C player to a A minus player. Now that's where I should put my uh, where I should put my energy. The faster you can make that decision, the faster as an organization you can ramp people up and have them uh, have the organization grow. Look, you know we're on the HubSpot Podcast Network, and we love spreading the word about other podcasts that we think you should check out. And you should definitely check out the Side Hustle Pro Podcast with Nikayla Matthews Acomb. This podcast showcases diverse entrepreneurs who've scaled from a side hustle to a profitable business. And I absolutely love Nikayla's real and authentic depiction of what it's like to do a side hustle while working full time, and all the emotional roller coaster that it takes to build a viable business on the side. She tells all of this from her own personal perspective of doing this herself and brings on guests who share their own journey with practical advice that you can take action on immediately. So listen to Side Hustle Pro wherever you get your podcasts. Tip. I was talking to uh, Goddard Abel from, from G2 and one of the things that, that he was talking about was um, organizations which understand how quickly they're onboarding people and, and if you can measure that, you know whether you're being successful or not. And if you can't measure it, you're probably not being successful. It's, it's yeah. Pretty straightforward. I think uh, he's a very smart, uh, very smart gentleman. So uh, I think those are, those are really true words I would echo. Yeah. You know, if you don't know, you're probably not uh, being effective. I, I, I'm curious, um, in terms of integrations for your business, you mentioned that some of the earliest deals came in through through partnerships. I, how do you incentivize your your sales team, and how do you incentivize your partnership team? Yeah, I would say it's something that we're still uh, we're still evolving, um, but we measure and track. Uh, to reference the conversation we just had, we reference and tra- reference and track. You know how partner involvement on every deal that we have. Um, you know, which partner was involved and how they were involved. Um, we incent in, in some cases, we, you know, we run, we run spit, spiffs to say, Hey, we'd like, you know, you to bring a partner in, to, in this sort of opportunity. Cause it needs to be a two way street as well. Right. Partner has to get something out of it. Uh, just as, uh, just as we do, uh, we very, you know, actively manage, uh, our key partners, meaning that we, you know, we meet with them on a weekly or, or biweekly basis to review pipeline and progress and to look for opportunities. And, uh, and, and, you know, and, and really try to reward, you know, both sides, uh, for, for building pipeline and, and, uh, as well as closing deals. And does, so does your partnership team sit in the sales team or, or as part of the revenue team or do they sit somewhere else? Yes. Our partner team sits within our sales organization, within our, our, uh, go to market organization. 
they're tightly integrated. Every time we do QBRs, every time we're, we're doing key strategic account reviews, partner team is there. Um, it, obviously, if that customer and partner happen to be one and the same, you know, even more so. Uh, but uh, but all of those those meetings, um, all the strategy sessions that we do, all the plans that we create, we have partner targets for partner generated pipeline, partner influence pipeline, all of those things. I, so does <laughs> one one of my uh, heretical ideas, which would get me kicked out of most board meetings, <laughs> is that I actually think that partnership source leads is a terrible metric uh, because it, it ultimately does it discounts a lot of the value that partnerships add in terms of um, retention, in terms of value for, for customer, in terms of easy adoption and making sure that, that people are on that that uh, successful runway rather than yeah. just on their way to churn, but just silent churn. And um, talk a little bit more about how you how you uh, incentivize your, your partnership team. Yeah, I guess what I would say is uh, I think it's a terrible standalone metric. Um, you know, partner source leads. Uh, and I also think, you know, realistically, companies are in business to sell their own products, not yours, right? And uh, we're not in business to sell someone else's product. That's just not the way it works. So, you know, I, you know, partner source leads, I, I definitely understand what you're saying in terms of it being a standalone uh, a standalone metric. It's probably not the, not the best or it needs the others around it. Uh, we do track things like, for example, the retention rate within customers who have installed the integration between us and one of our partners, you know, and almost without exception, we see that retention rate significantly above what we would see across just the, the, you know, the core customer base or the customer who hasn't taken the time to do any of those integrations. Um, and the more the integrations you can have, the better the ecosystem partners work together and add value and make the sellers' lives better or the administrators' lives better, um, the more that effect is going to amplify. So yeah, that that's a key one that we, we keep an eye on. A hundred percent. We see we see a big um retention uh, uplift on from HubSpot side, which is is why our ecosystem exists. And uh, we think that it adds a lot of value for for customers to have all that data plugging together. Um do you also see it on deal size? Do you also on and like the the um, deal cycle speed, deal velocity? Uh, yes, we do. When when uh, I would say on the deal size for sure. Uh, when we're in there together with a partner, it's typically because it's part of a larger initiative, you know. And again, especially what we find selling to you know larger enterprises, you know they they move slowly, but they. They move with purpose. And so if they're going to go through a major project to reinvent how they sell, chances are it includes a CRM, you know, changes to their CRM infrastructure. It includes uh, changes to some of their other uh, periphery tools and, and accessories. And they're really trying to look holistically at a sales process. And that includes more than one product. It, you know, they also very often have a system integrator who's in there who's going to kind of steer the entire project. And those projects typically have bigger budgets. They're, you know, they're, they're more concerned about the results, uh, than they are about the fact that, you know, this tool costs this or that, uh, you know, vis-a-vis it's list, list price, uh, not to say that things don't get, still get, feel the financial pressure, uh, but, uh, but you're more likely to see a commitment towards the right answer when they're looking at the picture holistically. And, and that usually involves uh, a lot of integration work. Yep. Yeah. Well, it, it's, <laughs> 
I have, I have, um, I don't know if I should say this publicly on the podcast. Uh, I love our HubSpot um, agency partners who are selling uh, HubSpot and also uh, integrating and implementing it. In some cases, I think that integrators are incentivized to have products which are poorly integrated, that have right. poor plat, uh, uh, product integrations, and because for that, it's just more work. And so they would rather do it a hundred times because that product is poorly integrated rather than have a really good product integration. And so I'm, I'm working hard to align with the agency partners and to, to help them be successful, but also to help them be successful to say like, Hey, this stuff should be fixed once at the core rather yeah. than to have busy work, uh, which ultimately is not going to add a huge amount of value to the customer. Right. Yeah. Similar to what I said earlier, you know, different technology providers are focused on on selling their product we're, we're going to sell our product you're going to sell your product that's the most important thing for us the system integrators and the, the large scale um partners uh you know they do they make money off services there's there's no doubt about that but i think the the good ones the ones that have been most successful understand that if they don't deliver value if the customer isn't ultimately isn't happy with the solution then they're not going to get invited back to the next project right so they have the best interest of their customer in mind uh, you know hundred percent and the best interest of the of the customer is going to be repeatable scalable supported integrations that happen between the partners right the one-off integrations that are done if they're significant you know those things are are going to be expensive to maintain they're going to break when apis break all that sort of stuff and uh and no you know no really solid system integrator is going to going to want that or or uh, expect that that's the way things are going to work so there's plenty of other work to do you know integrating workflows and building uh, maintaining a, a vision for where the change management needs to go uh that uh, that i think that that system integrators have have plenty to do um but uh but i think uh, you're right I you're right about what we said I haven't figured it out. They don't necessarily want to hear what I've got to say or what I'm selling. That's right. I, well, I, I, I won't tell I've, anyone. Where I've focused is really on like the first three months and say, because I, I do think, and I, as it's coming from the enterprise side of the world, like things where things are slow and clunky and like, it is what it is. Like those sellers, everything else that people are used to um, consumer technology being so good and so slick that when they come to the enterprise side and they're looking at it, they're like, what is going on here? Like, this makes no sense at all. And so if we can focus on that time to value, uh, I think that that's where a lot of enterprise companies can can really focus. And hopefully we can pr- pull some of those systems integrators into that time to value framework. Yep. Makes sense. Um, how do you enable your partners? Uh, how do we enable our partners? Well, we have a formal partner program that we've invested quite a bit in. I think it's, you know, 10, 10 plus people. Uh, we try to develop programs specific to the type of partner, you know, large strategics, smaller ISVs, integration partners across different geographies. Um, we try to, you know, we have limited resources, so we do our best to prioritize within those customers. And, uh, and or within that the, that list, and pick the ones that the partners, and really double down on the ones that we feel like are going to have uh, the most impact for, for us. Um, increasingly, we've been developing a, a more and more robust ecosystem. So we have a, an exchange now, uh, which includes a lot of of APIs and SDK that that uh, partners can use to build their own integration into Seismic. 
you know, when you're a small company getting started, you know, you're the one that has to build all the integration. So we would do that. As we've gotten larger, we've been able to build, you know, a, a, and support a more robust infrastructure that makes it easy for our partners, either services companies or uh, ISVs to build the integration themselves. And then we're constantly looking to improve that and, and add new uh, design patterns and integration patterns that support uh, more and more uh, those customers. You know, we also on the go-to-market side have tried to programmatize as much as possible about how we're working with our uh, with our partners. So, you know, the motions that we that I talked about earlier, that you know, the, the pipeline reviews and, um, and customer mapping and all those kinds of exercises, we've tried to programmatize as much as we can so that it becomes repeatable and scalable as we add more partners over uh, over time. And of course, we use a lot of, of our own enablement technology to make it more, more efficient. <laughs> I was teeing you up. I was teeing you up for this one. I almost missed. I almost missed that softball. So thanks, sir. Give no, me a chance. Right. Um, it's it's HubSpot uses Seismic for for our uh, partner enablement, and um, I think one of the things to be quite quite frank is we we had a little bit of a chicken and egg problem. It's like the salespeople are not going there if there's not a lot of sales assets there, and we're going to ask partners knowing that the salespeople are not going there because there's nothing there. And so that's something that we've been uh, focusing on and investing in heavily. And, and uh, we've seen very good uptake from from our sales team and and uh, kind of delight moments where they're just like, this is amazing. This is exactly what I needed. Thank you for this. And as you said, putting it in, in the context and place where they are used to finding their other assets has been very helpful for us. Excellent. Glad to hear that. <laughs> I'm, I, I, I'm curious. Um, to, uh, seismic sales team, where where you guys are today? Like, obviously, you you are uh, a very strong business. Uh, historically, I would say more sales oriented. Like, where is your sales team? How are you structured today, and how would you see that changing in the next eighteen months? Yeah. So. Uh... Our organization has continuously evolved over the last uh, decade plus uh, as we scale, as we expand across the globe, as we have completed a couple of acquisitions over the years, um, as we built new products uh, and, and increasingly gone to you know upsell, cross-sell motions um, uh, as, a, as a larger and larger percentage of our growth and our, our bookings in a given quarter. Um, all of those things have driven um, you know evolutionary change of our uh, sales and go-to-market organizations. You know, probably one of the more recent ones that we've done is, uh, you know, increased our focus on our larger accounts. We've established, we call our GSA program, where we're really providing a, a single team that is uh, that is focused on meeting the needs of our very largest customers, on the you know, kind of multi-million dollar customers and, that have large organizations. Um, and this is, you know, both for us to make sure we're serving their needs as, as best as we possibly can. So we've integrated the customer success motion with the sales motion into kind of more of an account uh, team that's focused on those uh, each of those organizations. Um, we've also, <clears throat> you know, uh, we've also, as we've expanded geographically, other changes that we've made is, is establishing a you know, kind of a, an international team instead of having specific uh, just having specific country leaders, we've had it. We have an international team uh, that is that is focused on you know making sure that uh, that the international part of our business, which is still relatively young for us, um, has the resources that it needs to operate 
as as autonomously and effectively as possible uh, within different regions, different time zones, et cetera. So those are a couple of the, the changes that we've made. I can tell you that it's uh, it's never ending. Every year, there's a, a, a tweak to the organizational structure and plan. Um, even how we, what we were just talking about, bringing partners more and more into the deal. That's something that that's uh, evolved over the last couple of years. It, it's um, uh, when I, I was talking to Alina from Chili Piper, and one of the things that that she said is that in the past, a lot of organizations have treated their sales people as coin operated, and that they just do the basic standard stuff, and that now with AI, really what they're having to deal with is the complexity of the buying process, of the people involved, of the discovery that AI is not going to give the answer to. Um, and so, as, as you said, it's it's um, it's always always room for improvement and for, for fine-tuning. Um, you mentioned internationalization in there. Uh, one of the things that HubSpot has done very successfully is expand internationally. And we now have more revenue coming outside of the U.S., outside of North America, than than from North America. And I'm, I'm curious, what what has been your experience with internationalization? Yeah, that's uh, that's amazing, and that's where we aspire to go uh, over time. You know, we're we're much earlier in that journey, I would say. Uh, my experience with inter- international expansion is, if you're going to do it, do it right. Um, that trying to do it on the cheap or cut corners will not work and it'll ultimately be a, you know, a, a loss of the investment that you made or a very minimal return on the investment that you, that you've made. Uh, so for us, when that, that means going into a geography means, you know, you, you bring marketing, you know, in region with focus, you bring customer success, you bring sales engineers, uh, sales engineering, um, the extent that is possible, you bring support, uh, infrastructure such as support and you know potentially support engineering um professional services uh you know you you may uh, even bring some of the gna functions you know local people team uh, our talent team local finance and legal support um certainly in going into europe things like the you know understanding the implications of privacy law and something that's constantly evolving and changing you know doing all those things um is not cheap uh, we've also leaned into cross-pollinating the the culture, so actually bringing people from our successful teams in North America to seed or be a part of getting a new geo off the ground uh, with expat is uh, has been critically important. Um, again, not the cheapest thing to do in the world, um, but if you do that right and you have realistic expectations, you know it's a it's a startup within a startup going in and finding new customers is a flashback to when we were first trying to find our very first customers. You know, you find your first customer in the Germanic regions. It's not that different from finding your first customer in, you know, in North America. Um, and that's hard. It's really difficult. You know, you have the advantage of a larger company around you. You have the advantage of reference customers and things of that nature that you didn't have before uh, when you were just getting started. But if you don't take advantage of those things the right way, you know, you're, you're really um, asking people to start their own company. Uh, so, so yeah, getting those, past that is for hard. For those people, for the, I'm sure there's a lot of sellers out there listening who are thinking about, hey, I want to go live somewhere else. I, I want to try, uh, try a new adventure, live in a country I haven't lived in before. What When you're hiring for those transplants I, or when you're tra- deciding which people to, to relocate because they're already... Uh, working for Seismic, 
Yeah. Uh, what are you looking for in those people that you think sets them up for success? Well, my team would tell you that I, I always say uh, the right person is going to hurt. Um, meaning that the right person that you want to go and and uh, and take on this assignment, you're really going to miss them from what they were doing before. Right? You want a star. You want people that uh, you really believe in that 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 are are exceptional in their talent and uh, and are willing to to scrap and hustle and and roll up their sleeves a little bit. Uh, that are willing to lead others and show the way instead of waiting for someone else to do things. You know, you, you can be awfully lonely when everyone else in your company is asleep and your customer asks you a question and you've got to fi- figure out how to answer that. Um, so the right person is going to hurt. And um, I think it's a tremendous opportunity. The folks that have done that for us are people that we have, you know, really do consider to be uh, stars and have had an, an incredible impact. And it's a leadership opportunity that I think most of them would say um, really has benefited them and will continue to benefit them as they go forward in their careers. So encourage everyone to put their hand up. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I think a lot of times when, when I, I see BDRs and AEs that are early in their career and they're kind of always like, what is the next step? What is the next step? And they want to like skip the Like the goal is like, basically how do I get out of the hard part of this job and how do I get like the really cushy, like, well-paid part of this job right and i I think that it's those the those skills early on of grinding and being scrappy that ultimately set you up for for success in your career yeah that part never seems to go away (laughs) (laughs) and so it uh speaking of hiring uh you're now at a size like you you're hiring vps um for aes who are looking to go who want to step up into that vp role uh, or looking at that, maybe not next year, but in, in a few years, um, can you talk about hiring your first VP of sales, uh, what that was like and, and, uh, maybe some lessons or if it was, if it worked out. Yeah. Well, I, I, I can't actually talk about hiring our first uh, okay. VP of sales <laughs> because well, our first, uh, sales leader, uh, was one of the founders and a key part of our success from, from the very, very beginning. Uh, and, uh, uh, Ed, Ed Callen based out of, uh, based out of Boston where you are. Um, so, you know, and he, he, uh, you know, he, he, uh, he, he was on the journey with us for a better part of a decade and a huge part of our success overall. Um, I can tell you that I found that hiring senior sales leaders is one of the most hardest, maybe the hardest hire that you have. And, and the reason I think is simple that if you've been even moderately successful in your career as a seller, then certainly you know how to sell yourself. And so as you're interviewing that person, they almost always do a good job representing themselves, their experience, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's really difficult to kind of get inside and understand how they operate um, and and what they're good at and uh, and whether or not that's going to translate into your business. I personally leaned heavily on a bunch of folks in my network to help me with that, people that had uh, a lot more experience than I do at leading large sales organizations that had seen good and bad and could sniff through uh, the difference. Um, that was something that uh, that I cared uh, th- that I leaned on hev- heavily as I went through the process uh, of hiring hiring sen- senior sales leaders. Um, I think also you know learning that to ask questions that help you understand where the whether the leader that you're talking to is a builder. Uh, or an operator. And, you know, both of those things are great. Both of those things are important, um, but at different stages in the company's development, 
you're really looking for someone who can build. You know, stepping into a, a process that's super well established and an infrastructure that's you know very successful and operating that business requires a certain set of skills. Being able to put that process together where none exists is uh, another set of skills. And I think really understanding that, uh, you know, my, my tip to the entrepreneurs out there that are building their own sales teams, you know, really ask questions and probe on how much uh, and how much they like the building part versus how much they need uh, that kind of infrastructure around them in order to be successful. And are there, is there advice um, for AEs who are at this stage? So they see like, this is where I want to go. <laughs> they might think that the the job is actually easier than it, than it ends up being, but uh, at least that's that's where they want to go. Um, what would you like? What should what was would be your advice for what they should be working on today? Yeah, I mean, selling a deal and managing a team of sellers are two different skills. Um, they really are, and I think that to me, those that do the best job of managing a team started out and are also really good sellers and closers. You know, they have to be. And, you know, our co-founder, Ed, is a great example. Never, never met a better closer. You know, being able to close well is super important and, and being able to actually do the job of selling. Learning how to manage a team is another skill. And if you go in thinking that, well, I was their best seller and so therefore I'm going to do great, you're very likely going to fail. So pay attention to what your manager does, what your boss does, what your, your president okay. or CRO does. Learn from him or her. The skills required to actually manage to do deal inspection at scale, uh, to to really understand, you know, whether uh, or not your pipeline has a chance or deals have an opportunity to be successful, um, at, you know, what the pipeline's going to be, how they're how they're thinking about forecasting, um, how to motivate large teams, where to spend your time. What we were speaking about earlier, you know, where do I invest my time and when do I cut bait and move on. Those are different sets of skills, completely different sets of skills than closing and winning deals. Um, you got a much better chance of making that jump if you're closing and winning a lot of deals. Uh, that's how you're going to get people's attention. But in order to, to, to win the job and to be successful in the job, you're going to have to learn a new set of skills. And I think even admitting that that's things that you, that you know you're going to need, I'll, I'll take a t chance all day long on someone who comes in and says, look, I know I need to learn here and I've got a mentor who's going to help me there. And I'd love it if you would help me, you know, get better in this area and give me feedback and coaching along the way. A person who knows that their own, uh, is vulnerable about their own opportunities to improve, I think is, is also going to be a, you know, much more successful. I uh, really, really appreciate that, Doug. And, and I think that that's great advice for, for everybody listening. Um, last question. Uh, if you had a magic wand, what would you change about HubSpot? What would I change about HubSpot? Um, if I had a magic wand, I would have gone back and bought a bunch of stock in HubSpot like 15 years ago, but uh, <laughs> it's a, and not that much magic, not that much <laughs> magic. Um, no, I think, look, HubSpot is on a, a list of companies that I have incredible amount of respect for that are paving the way. I, I, you know, I went to MIT Business School um, so I was also extremely well aware of the success um, uh, that that company has had. You know, our uh, our first big office, second big office was in Boston, right across the river from from where you are, and in Cambridge. So it's a company that I've followed very closely and 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 idolized. We we onboarded with uh, with HubSpot many many years ago. I remember very clearly the onboarding process and 
how structured it was and how efficient it was and thinking that, you know, this is something that we would model and, and copy from. So, you know, I, I'd say tip of the hat to the entire um, HubSpot uh, team. And uh, yeah, we we, uh, we look forward to continuing working as, as close partners. Great. Well, re- really appreciate it. Yamini is doing a fantastic job and uh, we're, we're kicking off with, with Inbound this week. So I really appreciate your, your time, Doug. Thank you very much for, for joining the Make It Happen Monday podcast. Uh, John Barrows couldn't be with you, but I'm sure he would have enjoyed the discussion. No problem. I appreciate it. It was great to meet you. Take care, Doug. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. With your support and our incredible guests, we're one of the top sales podcasts out there right now, and I can't thank you enough. Now, to keep the momentum going, it would mean the world to me if you could go and leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform and share some of your favorite episodes with your network. Also, check out my new website at www.johnmmichaelbarrows.com, where you'll find even more ways to engage. There's a ton of free content, and you can also get trained from me directly as an individual or for your team. Look, I'm out there selling every day just like you are, and I'm doing my best to stay on top of all the latest trends in technology. So if you're looking to level up and you give a shit about this profession of sales, let's connect and let's make this happen together. 